Welcome, everyone, to the AI and Business Podcast. I'm Matthew DeMello, Senior Editor here at Emerge Technology Research. Today's guest on the program is Alignment Health Chief Medical Informatics Officer, Dr. Arta Bakshande, DOMA. Alignment Health is a tech-enabled Medicare Advantage healthcare firm that celebrated its first year as a public company in March. He joins us on the program to talk about the latest AI developments in the healthcare space, particularly regarding the limitations of machine learning and the seemingly endless potential for large language models. There's a couple caveats there, of course, and we'll get into them. That actually makes this show very special. We'll also be getting into how Alignment Health developed their new virtual assistant program. Without further ado, here's our conversation. Arta, thank you so much for being with us on the program today. Matthew, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here. Yes. On this program, it's probably been a little bit since we've had a, a strong healthcare expertise on the program, so I think it's worth catching up. What are we seeing across the healthcare space in terms of challenges and the current technology that's in place to solve those challenges? I think we're, you know, there, there's, a, I mean, there's a million challenges to talk about, but if you, <laughs> <laughs> if you want to look at kind of what's, what's going on today is we're in this almost this AI spring. You have a lot of chatter around machine learning and AI and how it's going to solve issues. But what I think most of us don't realize, I think in the, in the general public that is facing, that the healthcare leaders have to face is the data silos that exist within the architecture and, and the data systems in the legacy systems that a lot of the hospital systems, the payers have, doesn't allow for machine learning and AI to really get to that place that you want it to be. And so a lot of, a lot of the folks in my position are looking at, okay, how do I now change my data architecture, create a unified data platform so that I can harness the data that I have. Because if you think about it, these institutions are, they're creating thousands of data points every day, right? Or millions of data right. points every day. And, right. and it sits in these typically siloed areas that doesn't communicate with a, a single system. And if you have a unified data architecture, which then it creates a pipeline across each one of these silos, that will then in, allow you to harness a lot of the AI and machine learning and, and data activation, as we like to call it, that you can do when you do something like that. And that's what we did here at Alignment Health with the building of Ava and that principal idea about eight years ago that we needed to do that to get to this point. Absolutely. And that's the virtual assistant program that we'll we'll get into a little bit later. I actually want to backtrack for a second because I think a lot of our listeners might find that surprising, especially if they come from outside of healthcare and maybe they've heard, as I know I have, you know, especially pre-pandemic, maybe early pandemic, a lot of stories of like AI, machine learning, absolutely revolutioning this space. Where does it stop and why in terms of the challenge you were you were just discussing in terms of it only going so far? What's the limitation? Well, so you have a lot of, there's a lot of things to think about here. One is bias, right? And that's that's a huge one in healthcare that we have to be very cognizant of bias. The other is, you know, building AI algorithms that are actually meaningful and are going to help scale the healthcare industry. And, and also more important than anything else, provide 
a higher level of care to the patient population. We shouldn't be using AI to deny somebody a service. What we should be doing is using AI and machine learning to identify people who need a service that maybe we didn't catch before. If you think about, so, so Matthew, think about like, if you got discharged from a hospital, there was a algorithm called the LACE score. And the LACE score looked at a number of factors, about 10 or 15 different factors, and said, okay, this is the likelihood someone's going to be readmitted. So hospital systems across the United States use the LACE score for seeing, you know, who should be triaged for case management, who should be potentially followed with a home visit, you know, right after or virtual visit right after discharge, right? But what AI now allows us to do, if you have all of the other data points, you can build models that have 800, 1,000, 1,500, you know, attributes to then be more accurate by 20, 30, 40% on who that target population that's likely going to be readmitted. And without the proper data architecture, you just can't do it. And healthcare, unfortunately, has sat idle for years in these SQL servers. I mean, there's still some people who are are working off a of DOS, which, you know, always yeah. still makes cool. me laugh, right? So you think about a blinking cursor sitting there and, you know, what are you really going to do with that? Nothing. Oh, man. I'm a child of the 90s. So you just gave me a very harsh flashback <laughs> to before Windows to I'm, I'm five years old again, yeah. playing with my Mickey Mouse games yeah, and not exactly. even having a mouse, just, exactly. just clicking down on the menus. Um, MS-DOS. Wow. What a blast from the past. All that said, though, it sounds as though that, I mean, we talk all the time about, you know, to truly embrace healthcare as an organization, it's transforming. And, and, and I know it's it's just such a blase talking point. I hear I see the white go out of my mom's eyes when we say AI is transforming X industry. But all at the same time, I think you're seeing a real change of priorities in, in everything that you just said about. And we see this in banking. We see this elsewhere in terms of let's stop looking at the customer in terms of the raw. Oh, they did this, you know, this last month. They heard our bottom line. They're out. We see this change in this mentality across the board. It can be retail. I mean, just in the sense of, I mean, we recently did a, a, a really great series in retail just about how there's these super villain fraudsters, but they only want to put so many policies in place to go after them and address them because it hurts the rest of the business. So we're all, we're looking at all kinds of customers, all kinds of patients, all kinds of experiences, and then using the data to tie them back to the bottom line, see their whole story and find out what trajectory they're on. And I just want to make sure this is, this I'm picking up what you're putting down in terms of what's happening in healthcare because it sounds a lot of a lot of the same and that's fostering a different way of looking at the business which is where is this person going and how much does that have to do with the bottom line how much care can we provide them am i am, am i picking all that up yeah and i think that so think of it from my perspective look i'm a, i'm a practicing physician right i went into medicine yep. because i truly enjoy taking care of somebody who happens to be ill, figuring out what's going on, helping them through their care journey. And the ultimate goal is to get them to a place where they are happy with where their health is, right? And that's what machine learning AI is going to help us do if we use it in the right ways is let's let's use it as a clinician on your shoulder or a data scientist on your shoulder that can help scale me so that I can do my you know, normal doctor job, if you will, right? But it giving me the insights that I didn't have before, all right? And say, hey, you know, 
there's this blip on an x-ray that maybe as a radiologist, you didn't notice, but I, as the AI, I'm going to show you and point to it because you just read 200 x-rays. You're not, you know, you're, you're a little tired. You're a little wired. You might miss it. So I'm going to help you do that. And by the way, I'm going to bring it up to the top of your queue because I think it's important and I don't want you to miss it. And it's those types of changes that I think we're going to see as physicians in the healthcare industry, where we'll end up taking this to another level and really revolutionizing healthcare through machine learning and AI. I think we've put a really fine point on the limitations, especially machine learning, AI in that area. What technologies are at the heart of solutions? What what technologies are taking us to the next horizon in terms of healthcare? And I know you guys, uh, I know you guys have, have recently debuted or, or you're moving up with this uh, with this new virtual assistant program. I'm really interested in in what outside of machine learning is going into that platform? Sure. So I, I think to take a step back and think of what AVA is. So AVA is our our core ecosystem to, you know, people call it a platform. I wouldn't describe it that way because it's sure. a suite, right? It's a suite of applications that are built entirely in cloud. There's this, think of a basement layer that's a unified data layer, meaning all those siloed data connections, you know, over 2,500 different places data is coming from, sits in, in this layer that goes through a process of normalization through after it's being ingested. It's then goes through a number of rules to understand, you know, what is the data? Where should it go? And as it sits in that layer, Ava then brings it up to the next level and allows this communication channel through the cloud ecosystem that allows you to scale up and down as you need the data. And we've built over 35 applications or modules that different users can use. So originally it was built for clinicians. When we built it, we built five, five solutions. It was, hey, clinician, this is what you need. It's now gone a whole nother level of entire health plan operations. So quality, case management, utilization management, our CRM is built out of Ava. So when you call, let's say for member services and you need to you know, ask about you know, PCP change or a primary care physician change, something like that, that member services representative can see kind of longitudinally what's been going on with you, not not from a, a healthcare perspective in the sense that there's any medical diagnosis or something that they don't need to see, they're not going to see it, but it allows them to see kind of what you've been doing, who you've been seeing in a way that is very eloquent. And that, that architecture wouldn't be available today if it wasn't for recent advances in you know cloud ecosystems and in the way that we use APIs. And then the next level is now bringing in these AI and machine learning modules. So there's we have over 170 different machine learning algorithms that plug in to Ava and are, are visualized across the ecosystem. She allows you to do things like virtual visits, you know, see longitudinal patient data as a provider. So Matthew, if you know you had called me with an urgent problem, this is the first time we're meeting as it is, right? I would know more about you than probably, you know, your primary care provider because I have all that healthcare data and I can give you you know, the, probably one of the better visits that you're going to have virtually because I understand so much about you. And then outside of that, it's bringing in these new things. There's a lot of buzz around ChatGPT right now, right, in the ecosystem around us. Everyone's talking about it, how it's going to change. And there's different ways to think about it. But I think that for listeners and for healthcare utilizers and even 
those in my position in the healthcare industry really need to look at what is what is ChatGPT as this large language model, and where should you use it first? I think operationally, so in places like you know having somebody query like a member or a patient query like, hey, what are my eligibility benefits? Can I do this? Can I go see Doctor X? Can I do that? I think that's an easy win, right? It's an easy win. It's simple. If there is a small mistake, it's not going to be as detrimental as something in healthcare. Uh, right. someone's health, right? Because at the end of the day, you still need, with AI, you still need a human to help make a decision on what you should do next. AI should not be making the decision for you. Of course. Right? That yep. is a yep. that's a big piece of it. And if you ask, you look at, you know, you, you jump onto Google today and look at some of the, the horror stories of, of people who put in, you know, there was one two days ago where a, a ER physician put in all 30 of the patients that he saw in the ER that day. And one of them was an ectopic pregnancy that the chat GPT missed. That's right. Like, that's a big deal right. because that could be fatal. Right. So and, and and worth very much keeping in mind when you have folks like all due respect to him, Larry Summers, former Treasury Secretary, going on 60 minutes and saying this will replace doctors someday. OK. Or something, uh, you know, like or, or some hogwash of that nature. You know, even researching this space, that's a, that's a very loaded statement. Yeah. You know, what the heck yeah. do you even mean by that? But like even if that's true, which is not what we're getting on board with today, let's even treat that in the loony bin category, surprising that it made 60 minutes. But, you know, even if it's true, we're nowhere near near those extremely nuanced bespoke model capabilities that would even put you in a place to say, oh, I can trust even most of my healthcare data. I guess this leads to a very appointed healthcare. Let me put this in, in the form of a question. As we encounter black box problems with AI in healthcare, how important will it be to have, you know, the presence of a human, not just for, you know, just the strict ethics reasons and in double checking a, a flawed system like an AI that's built by flawed humans, but e even just for the sake of like the peace of mind of the patient, that a decision like, you know, life changing surgery isn't just being handled in a tech, you know, there's a human being signing off on this, essentially. Where do you see medical professionals, especially in, in those workflows? It's context. The, the yeah. AI lacks context. So you will always, until we have artificial general intelligence, which depending on who you talk to, we're 20 to 100 years away from, right? You're not going to, you can't substitute a human to make these life, potentially life saving or life you know, threatening decisions of, you know, what do I need to do? So I don't see us getting to a place, at least in the next 20 years, where the AI is going to make the decision for you. There's too much at stake. There's in context. Yeah, I, I did an exercise with my data science team yesterday where we opened up ChatGPT and I said, let's guys, I want to show you something. Let's ask it a question. And what many don't realize is that you know, when you look at the Medicare Medicaid population, right, everything has to be at a sixth grade level. So I started asking ChatGPT things from a physician level down to a sixth grade level. And every time I asked the same question, just worded differently, it gave me completely different answers, right? And I was asking about breast cancer screening. It's like, should I get one, right? And I was doing it in ways that it, it was opening the eyes of the data science team of, wow, we're, we're actually much further away of any replacement of anybody. It's using right. this in the right ways to help scale who we have. Because we do, we have a huge problem with a shortage of clinicians today. We have, you know, 10,000 
people that every day turning 65 and going into Medicare. We're not pumping out that many physicians out of, uh, you know, medical schools <laughs> on a daily basis, <laughs> let alone yearly. So, right, we, someone has to take care of them. And for me to be able to spend time with, with a patient that is meaningful, I need to be scaled. And, and yeah. I need to be scaled to take administrative burden away. I think ChatGP is going to help me with that. I think AI is going to help me with that. I, yeah, it right. Yeah. It, it makes me yeah. It makes me very very uneasy when I when I see that kind of commentary just out in the media. Only because there is such a distinct misunderstanding of what an LLL, yep. LLM is. It's just a way to interact with data through language, and I think a lot of people see a thing, respond to them like their mom, and and ascribe it to it. You know, powers that. It's very dangerous to say AI will never be able to do this someday. We have a great big losers losers <laughs> bin of of people who have said that yeah. over the over the last few years. So no one wants to say that and that leads to statements like that where no, we could be 15 years away from that, we could be 100, it could never happen and we're in this in this very limbic space. I just wanted to uh, put a finer point on that in case that summarized your answer. I know I cut you off a little bit there. I apologize. I also want to turn back before we get too far from what you said before about in terms of the virtual assistant and the dashboard for the patient, de-siloing all of these areas, you know, across the healthcare organization to help them. You built it first for clinicians. So I, I already see the tea leaves in terms of building an AI transformative AI process that it started internally. And then you said, which makes perfect sense for a healthcare space, let's put all this data in the hands of the customer. Any advice you have for de-siloing those information streams, it, you know, across sectors is going to be uh, something I know our audience is very, very interested to find out. And I know healthcare, it can't be easy. Yeah, it, it, it's not. I think the play is starting with your use case, right? Come up with a use case first of what you're trying to solve. What, what do you want to, from a hospital system perspective, from a clinical, you know, uh, workflow perspective, that'll start to tell you what data you need and where to break down the silos first. But my argument would be being someone who's gone through this over the last nine years of building Ava to where she is today from that, you know, five panel dashboard to you know, over 250 different, you know, self-service charts that I can look at and the 35 modules. I mean, it's just, it's overwhelming, but it's, it's funny because in healthcare, you need that from a, all the way the actuarial perspective to down to the, you know, perspective of down to the patient perspective. And so coming up with a use case that's meaningful, that's going to drive healthcare outcomes. Fundamentally, if you take care of patients in the appropriate way and you don't deny them care, but you really envelop them with care, the cost curve will bend. It will bend because they will improve, you know, largely. And that's something that I think traditional payers haven't thought about until today. I think they're starting to, you know, you're starting to see that now. And so to sit down, you really have, you have to ask hard questions around what am I going to blow up? And what I mean is, right, you have these legacy SQL servers, you have these things, you have to keep the lights on, but you need to build in parallel so that you can make that transition to where, right, to where now you're no longer in these legacy systems, you're in this scalable, you know, factory that if you need data, it can scale up and build you a factory. And in a couple of micro, you know, milliseconds, it can scale back down when you don't need it anymore. Instead of sitting there and just pinwheeling for a day or two or 
uh, as we talked about DOS, that little flash on the screen. <laughs> <laughs> it, you're mentioning a lot of things that, that I know, like uh, healthcare organizations have had to force themselves to get better at. Because what you're saying is you need to build a sandbox, mimic your old legacy systems, get yourself a sandbox where things can go to hell, you can fail, because so much of AI success is face planting asking yourself how you face planted and turning that around and really treating failure as just a significant and telling data point as any kind of victory that you might It's uh, a learning you process. Get. You don't yeah, you know, I, with failure there there's a so you learn something when you failed. So you didn't actually yep. fail, did you? You got educational experience out of it. And then you know next time you you tweak it, right? You do something else so you don't fail. Right. So focusing on on that first use case, seeing that light at the end of the tunnel, that's going to show you, you know, at least where you need to go to de-silo yep. and following that breadcrumb trail through the forest will get you there. Even returning back to LLMs, because we're still in in your virtual assistant, you know, I, I think we see, especially, you know, uh, the audience that we have from FinServe, you know, they see the parallels in call centers. You know, we know that we can give the virtual assistants work to set up appointments, make, you know, do the do a lot of the busy work for the patient that keeps, you know, the medical professionals, their uh, attention focused on care. I, I still think that resorts to this stereotype where it's going to be all our medical professionals are just going to be experts in bedside manner and like giving the bad news. Even where we see, you know, AI max out its potential in this space, I don't think that's true. If you can speak to a little bit, you know, outside the bedside manner, where do you see? Yeah. And I know I've asked a variation on this question before, but especially to complement everything we're seeing on the virtual assistant side in technical skill, where, where do we see medical professionals and their expertise going in these workflows? You know, I think they're going to have a better work-life balance than we have today. So, you know, I was, I was researching this a couple of months back and, you know, average clinician spends 10 hours looking for data or charting every week. Right? And that's, that's, that's the AI, that's where AI, that's where in. AI is going to help, right? If you think about physician burnout, you think about how, I mean, we're, it's real, especially after COVID. I, I, I can tell you, I, I can't tell you how many times I've sat down in an ICU, you know, and just kind of put my head down and looked at a friend of mine and be like, how's your mental health today? Um, <laughs> you know, and it, it's, it, it's, uh, we're so overwhelmed with the work that we have to do, but that focus back on the cerebral aspect of medicine and, and thinking through like, hey, you know, this person has this problem. What else do I need to do? What am I not thinking about? Right. We're going to get back more to that and just that interaction and patient experience that I think is really going to AI is going to help us do in the, la the language models are going to help us do because they're going to be doing a lot of the work that we used to be doing, you know, searching for data. It's going to become so much easier to do that where even at hospitals, I was rounding on a patient the other day and the hospital has a different EHR in the ER than it does in the core hospital setting and a different one in the outpatient setting. So I'm going into, you know, I had to walk to the ER to log into the system there so I could see what happened, go back and then log into a separate system so I could see what's going on outpatient and then do the, the patient. It's like, I mean, what are we? We're in 2023, right? Why am I still doing this? And it's a, it's, I think that's where we're going to see a change and we'll see, you know, operational scale. And you're going to have a lot more, you know, happy clinicians and hopefully a lot less burnout. 
Because you know, I in that way, maybe healthcare is primed for this. And I, I claim to be no no genius who ever thought of this first, but it'll be interesting to see that if it improves patient circumstances that you're also taking data on how the doctors are maybe experiencing burnout or like just seeing oh, yeah. both sides of the table. Yep. Oh, well, it, yeah. is that happening? That, that'd be a super cool use case. I haven't, you know, I, not, not that I'm aware of, but it absolutely yeah. is something that, you know, I think larger hospital systems will start getting into because turnover, yeah. right. I think they're seeing turnover. It's expensive to, you know, bring on a new clinician to go through, you know, the recruiting process. You got to pay the recruiter. You're going to go through, right. you know, training and, all that it, to lose a physician is worth a, a ton of money. And so they, they, I think they're going to have to start thinking about it. Uh, and I think, you know, some people are, but yeah. I haven't quite seen it yet because it's been so focused on see the patient, see the, you know, the, it's on the, yeah. the larger population, which is the patient population, which is you know, appropriate in itself. There are a few that are asking the question of, okay, what do we do about physician burnout? We see yeah. lots of articles about it, but I'm yet to really see a solution outside of someone who's going to put, you know, make that work life balance and take away a lot of that administrative burden. Cause that's yeah. what all of my colleagues are saying is just get rid of the administrative burden for me. And I'm you know happy as a clam. So, right. Right. And I think it's, it's going to be a real brave new world when we start turning the lens inward and saying, how is the doctor doing? Cause if the doctor isn't doing too well, how can the patient be doing well and then re and really seeing all right well if this you know doctor's working you know nine ten hour shifts and we're seeing great outcomes and he's not burnt out or any combination therein i think that's that's going to be a, 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 a even just another stage of the the revolution especially in healthcare arda i know you have to head out i know we're right up against the line of our schedule thank you so much for being with us on the program this week matthew it was a pleasure thanks so much for having me it was a great conversation And in wrapping up today's episode, I think we're starting to emerge from the hype cycle surrounding large language models, largely driven by the figurative beetles in this space, which is OpenAI and ChatGPT. I know I make that illusion all the time, but I stand by it, especially as someone who's a musician in their part time. I think what we're coming to grips with, just as I said in the program with Arda today, it's that we need to stop looking at LLMs like a computer that we can talk to and rather that it is a portal for data in which language is the means of traversing that portal. And I think when we start to look at it that way, it's computer using language as a tool and not something or someone talking to us. We start dehumanizing this technology, we start making it a little bit less personal, and we start looking at it for what it is. Hopefully sooner rather than later. On behalf of Daniel and the entire team here at Emerge, thanks so much for joining us today, and we'll catch you next time on the AI and Business Podcast.